Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are continuing in our series, The Treasure Principle, as we focus on stewardship within our Inner Workings of Worship series. Today, we are led by our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew, as he discusses the spirituality of our giving. Thank you for listening. So, Father God, we thank you so much for the privilege that you've given to each one of us this morning to be a part of this great nation, to be able to worship you freely. And God, as we are heading into a very uncertain week in our land, we pray that you would remind us uh, that you love the birds. And that when your people were wandering lost in the desert, you provided manna. And so help us to go into this week confident, knowing that you are God, that you are in control, and it's all good. That you love us. And so God, as we... Here this morning, look into the Word of God, specifically in 2 Corinthians. We pray that you would have some Bible study with us. That you would teach our hearts about the importance of our attitudes. About the importance of not just being people of words, but being people of action. And so God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for the churches in Macedonia. We thank you for the Corinthian church. And so Lord, may we hear your loving words this morning. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew. I'm excited to be with you here this morning. Normally when we preach on giving in the church, the pastors cast lots to see who has to do it. And, you know, for years I had that same attitude, but as I grew in maturity in my faith, I came to the realization that this is actually a very loving thing to do as a pastor uh, is to really talk about our attitudes towards giving. And, and so as I did this particular sermon, I started to think, well, I'm really glad my attitude's a lot better right now because it really is about the attitude of giving more than it is about giving itself, isn't it? Last week, Pastor Jared reminded us that we're, we're in a sermon series um, that we're talking about the inner workings of worship, why we do the things we do in church And we've talked about everything from the Lord's Prayer. We've talked about everything from the Creed. We've talked about why we sing songs and what worship means. And now we're talking about giving. And why do we give? Is it so that we as a church can have 40 bajillion dollars and buy things? No, that's not it at all. But you see, the reason why we talk about giving is because we are one body. We are one unit. And we are called to be the hands and feet of God. And when he blesses us with stuff, he says, you are the steward of what is my stuff, and I want you to use it to bring me glory. And so that's why we talk about giving, because you see the word possession, when you look it up in the dictionary, talks about a couple of things. One thing it talks about is the stuff that we own, but then it also talks about the demon taking control of somebody else. And it's interesting that that's the word that we talk about when we talk about our stuff. We call it possessions. And if we're not careful, our possessions can possess us. And what once was us being in control of God's stuff is now the stuff of earth being in control of us. And we don't want any part of that, do we, church? Pastor Jared reminded us last week that it all belongs to God. And he reminded us last week that where our finances specifically are is where our heart is. We challenged you all to go this week and to really look and examine yourselves to say, where is my money and where is my heart? And I would ask you to introspectively think about that. Did you do that? 
Where is your money? Is it in the generous givings of the things of the Lord? Or are you a miser trying to build your own little kingdom? Now, these are strong words, so forgive me, but they're words that are coming out of 2 Corinthians here that I'm going to share with you. Look, giving of our finances is a scary thing. It really is. Giving of ourselves is a very scary thing because our finances really represent our time that we spent working hard, right? And time is that one thing that we can never get back. But what a more beautiful way to worship God than to say, Lord, all the works of my hands, I'm trusting to you. A couple of years ago, I received a phone call. Uh, And thank you, uh, Jim Fisher-Keller. I think I saw you this morning for giving me permission to share this story this morning. But a couple of years ago, I received a phone call from a friend of mine named Mary Beth. Now, I had gone through a lot with Mary Beth and her fiancé, and then soon husband Jim, because Mary Beth was diagnosed with, to make a long story short, a terminal cancer, and it it was going to take her. And I remember when I got the phone call from Jim saying, The doctors are saying, it is not going to be long at all. Will you come over and will you do communion with us? Now, if you knew Mary Beth, Mary Beth was a person that, I mean, this woman gave. She was so jubilant in her giving. Her attitude was fantastic. And I thought, here's a woman who's literally dying. She's got days to live. I'm going to go over. I'm going to cook them dinner. It's going to be epic. We're going to do communion. It's going to be this beautiful moment. And I call her up and I say, Mary Beth... I love you. Thank you for the way that you've just submitted to God's will. And she did. She embraced what God had for her life. And I said, I want to bring you dinner. And she said, you're not bringing me dinner. So wait a second. I'm bringing you dinner. No, you're not. I want to say thank you to you for all that you've done. You're coming over to my house and I'm cooking you dinner. Mary Beth, you're dying. I'm still cooking you dinner. And I want to tell you, that was the most beautiful gift I've ever received. To have a woman who is dying say, I want to show you that I love you by serving you when she didn't have the energy to stand. It was an incredible moment. I know, Jim, you're probably over there crying too right now. Jim and I sat at the table while she prepared us a turkey and mashed potato dinner. And she served us. I couldn't even cut my own turkey. She served us. And I remember thinking to myself, why in the world is she doing this? But during that time, she reminded me that God graciously loved her. God graciously gave her so much in her life as how she would paint that picture. She wanted to let everybody know by giving back to them that she loved them because she first was loved. And what I loved about that meal was that Mary Beth understood something about the spirit of giving. And she did this her entire life. She was all about giving and loving on people. She understood that she, regardless of her circumstances, could give. You know, a lot of times as people, we'll use our circumstances to say, I can't give right now because. Mary Beth, I want to come over and cook you dinner. No, you're not, but you're dying. I don't care. I'm serving you. She could have in that moment used 
the, the, the excuse of dying to say, you serve me, but she did not. She took that moment, regardless of her circumstances, and she exemplified the love of Christ by serving her husband and I. She was enthusiastic about it. I mean, she could barely stand on her feet, but when I got there, you would not even have known she was sick. She was busting jokes, and and she was making us laugh, and she was even making light of the coming future in the immediate days. She was enthusiastic about her giving. She was gracious and and gave out in spite of her circumstances. She had the attitude of Jesus. She was very willing and not reluctant. What a sweet dinner we had that night as we talked about eternity and as we talked about what the kingdom of God was going to be and what it looked like and her security in that. You know, a few days later, Mary Beth did go home to be with the Lord. And just what a beautiful story that she embraced the will of God for her. But regardless of her circumstances, she still gave. So I ask you this question this morning. Where is your heart when it comes to giving? You know, the Word of God tells us that in our time, in our talents, and in our treasure, we are to give. And one of the things I want to make sure we're very clear on this morning is I'm not saying that you can substitute one for the other. It's very clear that it is your time, it is your talent, and it is your treasure. It's all three. God has blessed you and gifted you with things, with people, with time, and with stuff. Not so you can bring glory to yourself, but so that you can bring glory to Him. And when it comes to giving, we are called to give of all of those things. Our time our talents, and our treasures. And our attitude with which we do that is super significant. You see, the Corinthian church was in a little bit of a mess. Their relationship with Paul was a a little damaged, was a little broken. Um, See, what had been taking place is the churches in Judea, all right, over over near Israel, these churches were really experiencing some hard-pressed times. They, they had very little. People were starving. The Christian Jewish church there was in a very bad way. And on this Paul's third missionary journey at the time, he's going around and he's reminding uh, the churches that, that they need to support one another. They need to come alongside of one another. They need to give of their time, talent, and treasure. And they need to remember their Jewish brothers and sisters in Judea. Now, there's a very hard-pressed relationship between the Gentile Christian and the Jewish Christian in this time. There was a group known as the Judaizers that were going around, and they were teaching, unless you were a Jewish Christian, you really weren't even a Christian. And Paul is trying to explain to everybody, no, that's not what God says. In fact, he says the opposite, that we are one body and we are called to help take care of one another. And so when he calls for this offering to be taken up to help the churches in Judea, it's this beautiful unifying moment in all of the churches right now in the world. There's a particular church in Macedonia that didn't have anything. In fact, they were probably in a harder way than what was going on in Judea. Their circumstances, their their life quality, the, the steel mills had just closed down. They know what Pittsburgh felt like back in the day. In in Macedonia, there was a hardship going on, 
And Paul even asked them, hey, do you want to be a part of this? And they jumped on it like Mary Beth on cooking turkey. They said we would love to be a part of it because we want to be a part of what God's doing and bringing unity to the church of God. And the Macedonian church, as we're going to find in a moment, went above and beyond what their expectations were. The church in Corinth was a very affluent area. They were blessed with good preaching, good teaching. It was a church that they had the spiritual gifts flowing in abundance through them. In fact, when Paul originally came and said, we need to help take care of our brothers and sisters, they were one of the first ones to jump up and say, we will take this on. But the problem is, is when they did that, they literally did not put their money where their mouth was. In fact, a year will have gone by between now or between then and now. And what's happening is, is when a brother or sister in Christ makes a pledge to something and they don't follow through with it, ministry suffers. In fact, when we make pledges with our mouth and we don't follow it up, it's actually a litmus test for where we are at spiritually as individuals and as a body. There's a guy named Warren Wearsby who has a great quote uh, when talking about this whole um, treasure principle, when talking about this whole uh, concept of giving. He makes this statement right here. They're going to put it up on the screen for us. It says, when a body is not spiritual, it is not generous. And what's happening in Corinth right now is Paul is concerned that the spirituality of the church is beginning to lack because they're not meeting the commitments of giving that they've made. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you right now to open to 2 Corinthians 8. We've laid down the setting for our Bible study today. And I really want to encourage you to, to, to follow along with us. Because these aren't my words this morning. These are the words of God. These are the words that he inspired through Paul. And there's a lot that we can learn this morning. In fact, there's five key principles as we go through this Bible study this morning that I really want us to pick out. And and there's a key word that Paul talks about. Uh, He says the word grace giving. And grace giving is a a very beautiful thing that we're going to talk about. And grace giving is something we're going to learn about today. And I want to encourage us as we're starting to think about what it looks like for us to give our tithe and our offering to be very grace giving mindseted. And so if you would, follow along with me. We're going to start in um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1. It says this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So when we look at this whole concept of grace giving, there's five things that we, that we see. We see the first one right there. See, grace giving demonstrates to us that we're supposed to give in spite of our circumstances. And if you have a pen and paper, I want you to write this down. They're going to bring this up on the board for you here. Grace giving looks like these five things. It's giving in spite of our circumstances. It's giving with enthusiasm. It's giving like Jesus. It's giving willingly. And it's given by faith. 
And in these first couple of sentences that we read here in this letter, we see a Macedonian church that had the right attitude. They understood that God cares more about the heart with which you give than the actual amount that you give. God can make $1 given by a generous heart go so much further than $400 bajillion begrudgingly given. God looks at our heart. And so we're going to walk down through these things as we talk about giving here today. The first one that we see that we come to is that the, the Corinthian, or in this letter, Paul is encouraging us to be grace givers by giving um, in spite of our circumstances. You know, I shared this story with Mary Beth, and she gave in spite of her circumstances. The Macedonian church had every reason to back down from their gift. And no one would have blamed them. But with jubilation and overflowing joy, they continued to give. Can I ask you a question, church? Have you ever used your circumstances as a reason not to give to God, financially, specifically? Have you ever made the statement that things are just tough right now? When we make that statement, things are just tough right now and I can't give, we're actually saying I'm putting my faith in my money, not in God. Does that make sense? Our faith needs to go in God. It's the one thing in Scripture that he says, test me in this. I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. You need to give in spite of your circumstances. When you've truly experienced the grace of God in your life, you will not use difficult circumstances as an excuse for giving. So how do you know if you're one of these grace givers that Paul talks about? Well, you won't make excuses on your circumstances. When we look at verses 3 and 4, it says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They were begging to give the church of Macedonia. And the second thing that we look at, if we want to do a litmus test of ourselves, is first we need to see if we're giving up beyond our circumstances. And then verses 3 and 4 point out that we need to be giving enthusiastically. Do you consider it joy when the paper or when the basket passes by? Or is it something that feels like a 400-pound weight coming out of your pocket? If our heart is right, then we should be privileged to give. There's an old adage in the church that makes this statement. We will say, you got to give until it hurts. And I completely disagree with that. We need to give until it doesn't hurt anymore. Because it should be a joy. It should be a blessing. Like the Macedonian church says, they gave beyond their circumstances. They gave with enthusiasm. And our giving should be a result of jubilation, not mathematical calculation. Amen? Did you catch that? Our giving should be out of jubilation, not mathematical calculation. Because God works in great ways. When we look at verses 5 through 9, it says this. For when I came into Macedonia... Excuse me, that's the wrong chapter. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord... And then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness. See, remember I told you the Corinthian church had all these good things going for them? They had a lot of good stuff going for them, but their attitude towards giving was off. 
Um, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness in your, uh, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the eager, uh, earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Christ, for you uh, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, uh, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. If we're true givers, grace givers, then when we give, our attitude needs to be the same as Jesus. We need to give in the same way that Jesus gave. Now that's a loaded statement. Jesus came down from heaven. He gave up everything. But I want to make sure we're very clear here on this point. Jesus was not broke. Jesus gave all of his earthliness away. But Jesus has eternal riches that you and I cannot possibly imagine. But the word of God tells us that if we confess with our mouths that he is our Lord and our Savior, we will one day join him in those riches. They're a different kind of rich. They're the kind of richness that is investing in people, that is investing in love, that brings glory to God. Jesus didn't make excuses. When he came down to earth, he gave up his possessions. When we read this verse, we see something that this is kind of hard to talk about. Because I used to believe this myself. That a lot of times we look at our tithe, we look at our giving, and we'll make the statement, well, I volunteer my tithe. We'll make the statement that I give because I change diapers in the nursery or, or I give because I sing in the choir and I really want to challenge that thought. I used to believe that same thing myself. But as I studied the scripture and as I really looked at time, talent, or, and treasure, it's, it's all of them. And if you're out there and hear my heart and hear what I'm saying because it's the word of God, if you're out there right now and you're making the statement that I give faithfully to the church because I give my time, you're missing a large portion of what God is calling you to. Yes, he is calling you to give your time. Yes, he is calling you to give your talents. But he's also calling you to release your hands like you've released your heart. And he's calling you to give faithfully to the ministries of the church. Does that make sense? Hear me. You cannot substitute your tithe for your time. Paul speaks specifically to the church here and he says, listen, you guys are gifted in the spiritual things. You're gifted in the spiritual gifts, but you're neglecting on the grace gift. And what we sometimes will do as a believer is we will confuse spiritual gifts with grace gifts. And when we're called to give out of grace, that is different than a spiritual gift. When we serve the church, we're using our spiritual gifts. When we give to the church, we're using a grace gift. Does that make sense? I'm sorry for a lot of you that that's that's news. When I first came to that conclusion, I went, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble for teaching that wrong when I get to heaven. Time and talents And treasure, God is calling you to be generous with all of it. He's calling you to be generous with your friends, your family, your co-workers. That's the way Jesus gave. Jesus just didn't give a portion of his life. He came to earth and he gave up his earthliness so that we could inherit his heavenliness? That doesn't seem fair at all to him. 
right? Do you see what I'm saying, church? We're called to give in spite of our circumstances. We're called to give with enthusiasm. We're called to give as Jesus gave. The Macedonian church was a great example of that. We're also called to make sacrifices. Yes, sometimes as believers, we are called to make sacrifices. But I want to make it very clear right now. God is not telling you you have to give all of your stuff away. He said that to the rich man that we learned about last week. God is saying he wants your heart to be generous and he's blessing people so that they can in turn bless others. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. But when your wealth possesses you, then you have a problem. We're to, we're to be givers like Christ. We're to be sacrificial in our giving. The fourth thing is, when we give, we're to give with a willing heart. We're to give with a willing heart. That's a little different than the enthusiastic heart. Sometimes we're willing to do something, but we're not excited about it, right? So we're called to be jubilant in our giving, but we're also called to be willing. Whose stuff is it? It's God's. So when we look at verses 10 um, through 12, we read this. It says, And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. See, we're sometimes enthusiastic about our giving. We're sometimes enthusiastic about our serving. But a lot of times our mouth will write checks that we don't intend to cash, right? And the Corinthian church is in that moment. They've made this bold proclamation that we will step up, that we will give. And a year later, they still have not followed through with their commitment to the Lord. You're called to be willing. Now listen to me. That same passage of scripture, God is not calling you to whip out a credit card and to run up $35,000 of debt to give to the church. No, because God is giving each of us according to our means. And he wants you to give according to your means. That amount of money is going to look different for each and every one of us. But the intention behind the heart should look identical to God. And it will look identical to God if our heart is in the right place, if we're willing. The, fourth, or the fifth thing that we see is that when we give, it really is a matter a litmus test of faith in our life. Where we put our money, there our heart is. Do you trust the words of God when he says, be generous and I will be generous with you. Don't worry about tomorrow because I will take care of you. I love the birds and they don't have to worry. They don't worry about anything. But how much more does God love you? And how much more do you not have to worry about anything? If money is a God in your life, you will cling to it. It will be painful to give. But if God is the God of your life, trust him with what he's convicting your heart of. Be excited about it. Have the attitude of Christ and give to what he's calling you to give to. And as much as he's calling you to give. There's a great... Uh, statement I want to read to you because I want to make sure that I say this correctly. Grace giving is a matter of faith. And God is calling us to give out of the generosity of grace, knowing that he promised to provide for us and to take care of our needs. Grace giving is not foolish. 
giving, or uh, excuse me, it's not foolish giving or doubtful giving, but wise and focused on God. So I ask you the question this morning, church. When we look at these closing words, he says, Last year you were not only the first to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that, uh, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, which is often a question that we ask. Well, I'm not doing well, and so you want me to give so someone else can have while I have nothing. But that's not what he's saying. He says this in verse 13, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who has gathered much did not have too much, And he who gathered little did not have too little. We are called by God to be his hands and feet by giving our time, by giving our talent, and by giving our treasure. There's nothing wrong with having wealth as long as it is not your God. It is a matter of faith when we give. So I challenge you. Are you giving faithfully? Are you giving in such a way that you're giving in spite of your circumstances? Again, God's not calling you to be stupid with your giving. He's calling you to be wise with your giving. Are you giving with enthusiasm? You know, I I love Christmas time, but I am the worst Christmas gift guy in the world. My family all knows this. I have to Christmas shop Christmas Eve because if I don't, they get their gifts the moment I buy them. And, and so that enthusiastic giving is something God has blessed me with. Now the smart part I have to figure out later <laughs> and managing it correctly. But has God blessed you with that enthusiastic attitude like on Christmas when we want to give our gift to somebody? You know what I'm talking about. It is truly blessed to give more than it is to receive. Do you give like Jesus? Are you willing to make sacrifices for people around you when you see the hurting and the lost Are you willing to give generously because God touched your heart? Do you give like Christ? Is it a willing gift? Or are you holding on to that with all of your might? And lastly, are you giving by faith? I want you to spend some time today, maybe in in a quiet place in your home, and I want you to ask God, how's your faith? Lord, how is my faith? How am I trusting you with the physical stuff of this world. Because the physical stuff of this world, as the word tells us, is going to perish. It is going to go away. But the things of eternity are forever. And do your possessions possess you, or do you recognize that they belong to God? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Help us to take some time today, God, to get alone in that room and to ask that question of where is our faith? Do we have the right attitude? Are we like the church in Corinth who is almost begrudgingly giving, or who is not giving? Or are we like the church in Macedonia, or like Mary Beth, who in spite of our circumstances, we give because we understand that that grace, that grace of your Son on the cross, was given to us first. Help us to give not out of duty, 
but out of gratitude for what you're doing. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.